So, what are you going to do with your day, then? Well, thought I might get trolleyed and smash a few glasses in the pub. Seriously? Just thought I'd hang out here, if that's all right. I know it's, it's hard not having regular work, but it won't be like this forever. And the doctors will suss out what's going on with your hand. You just, just need to be patient. Yeah, I know. You sure I can't tempt you to tinkle on my pipes? Oh, maybe later. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 249 of the Talk of the Street, another official Coronation Street catch-up podcast that cannot approve of the show recycling 25-year-old jokes about tinned wild salmon. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I just did another podcast. It hasn't come out yet. It, I, uh, I don't know when they come out. What should we be looking out for on our podcast provider of choice? Bloodfest the podcast. Well, that sounds wholesome. <laughs> It's a horror movie podcast that, don't our, say. that our friend out in Kansas, one Nathan Tyree does with a number of other Kansans about about horror movies. So hmm. I was on to speak of, of uh, Dawn of the Dead. It's not just horror movies that he does. It's the kind of the sleazier horror movie, that the, the less well-known horror movie. I was quite surprised when you... You guys ended up doing Dawn of the Dead. like a George Romero. Well, I said I wanted to do a Romero movie because oh, I love well, I love Romero. Well, that explains that mystery. So, then. We we were going to talk about Knight Rider. What the TV show? No, oh. the the George Romero movie. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> you know, but thought that it would be more difficult to find. But in fact, it's on Canopy, and I had to fly to france to watch dawn of the dead because it's not streaming anywhere obviously it's difficult to find so i don't know how many of the young people have seen the original 1978 version there's a 2004 version with ving rains mm-hmm. with fast moving zombies right which what's the fun in I that i prefer the shuffling variety myself right especially on an ice skating rink oops or getting pies thrown in their well, faces there's going to be some topsy-turviness <laughs> as far as the the undead maintaining their balance and equilibrium is concerned. That's that's like my favourite thing about that movie is the zombies on the ice skating rink and then the fact that you've got the, the Hare Krishna zombie and the nurse zombie and the nun zombie. <laughs> you know? And not just like regular zombie people wearing regular clothes. He like throws in some a little razzle-dazzle there every once in a while. Right. And that's fun. Rest in peace, George Romero. You are missed by me. There you go. <laughs> what were you doing while I was out gallivanting the earth with other podcasters? I think I was in my bed, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, I think I just went to bed. That was my classy way of asking what how your week was. Oh, uh, yes. Usual, busy. It's hot. It's very hot. It's very hot. For April, we were... Tickling the 82 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 28 in the Celsius new money. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, which is quite warm for a 
for the middle of right. April. And yet on Monday, we're expecting snow. So <laughs> I said that kind of as a Never joke. Never a dull but, moment. But it's kind of come true. Yes. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. And give us some of that. Fishy. Fishy Corey news. <laughs> Former Corey actor Catherine Tildesley has shared an image of her. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Just, there's I been didn't... more Corey news since she left the show than there ever was when she was in it. <laughs> Catherine Tildesleydale. I I didn't call her Tildesleydale this you haven't, time. You haven't I'm called her that so for a while, proud of myself for not. I don't even know why I did that. What? What? Because you didn't know her name. My bra- Well, yeah, but I had it right written right in front of me, and there was no Dale there. My sometimes, brain. Sometimes you just got stuck in a deal. Former Corey actor Catherine Tilsley has shared an image of her husband's chest to raise awareness that men can also get breast cancer and should do self-breast exams. Her husband, Tom Pitfield, found a lump under his nipple and went to have it examined. Thankfully, it was just a gynecomastia and not cancer. But still, apparently her husband didn't know that men could get breast cancer. And she's like, how can you not know that men can get breast cancer? What, what, do you think your your breasts are special? It's rare, but it does happen. And so I, I congratulate her for raising awareness about this. And I congratulate him for saying, yeah, sure. You can share an image of my chest on Instagram. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Beth Morgan, who appeared in Corey on 2018 and was promptly sacked for sharing that. We need to stop laughing. It's like old actors calling news. Well, it was a slow week. What can I say? Beth Morgan, who appeared in Corey in 2018 and was sacked after sharing a costume online, has revealed she had a stalker who was just given a sentence of six years for harassing her and other women. Bravo. Wow. So she was, she was one of the strippers? Yes. At the nightclub that Bethany yes. worked at. Yes. Because I think an item of Corey News this time last year was about somebody else who got sacked for sharing photos or... Maybe it was the same person. No, this was a black man. There's a black man who was uh, extra. And oh, Corey yeah, I remember year. that. I remember that. Mm. Yeah. Bad form, Corey. Bad form. And finally... You'll be happy to know this is about somebody who is still on the show. A contemporary. A contemporary, yes. I'm glad you've left us to last then. Finally, sad news as it appears Simon Barlow actor Alex Bain's engagement has ended. Oh dear. And he has withdrawn from social media as a result, citing a need for a mental health break. And I think we can commiserate. I think we've all been there. Yeah. And uh, bravo to him for acknowledging the fact that that such a break is needed and you need to kind of step away and don't read all the comments and stuff. Yeah, I think I think being on social media, if you're the guy that plays Simon, might not be the, the happiest place on earth. Mm. And that goes for most of them who have been, been there as, as child actors and, and beyond. Right, I yeah. Twitter can be a, a cruel place. Living your life under the microscope yeah. for so long, you know, and have people speculating about your personal life, mm-hmm. and making shit up right. and stuff. 
We haven't seen him for a while. I hope he's back in it soon. He was in it. He was in it last last week. Remember, because Amy yelled at him, or not last week, two weeks ago. Oh, Amy yelled at him at yeah, the wedding. Just there at the wedding. Yes, and that's Corey news. That's Corey news. That brings us on to our feedback section. Everyone's a critic. Like that, that you just don't like. I didn't have time. I didn't have time <laughs> to do anything different. It's, slash it's, better. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Now, Trisha wrote in two weeks ago that uh-huh. I didn't notice. So when she says last week, she means two weeks ago. Okay. Or maybe three weeks ago. A number of weeks ago. Yeah. Dropping a line for your feedback segment, which is this, which is called Everyone's Everyone's a Critic. critic. To say I missed your commentary on last week's doozy of a storyline. She says I started watching 80s Corey on YouTube when I was recovering from surgery five years ago because I heard it was a show that has been on for a long time and had a good reputation. Supposedly even the Queen... And the Queen Mum were amongst its viewers. Absolutely. And Snoop Dogg. I loved it because it felt... The Queen and Snoop Dogg. (laughs) I loved it because it felt so real and was a comfort to me. Realistic-looking people with realistic jobs and things unfolded at a normal pace. I wonder what the Queen and, I guess, Snoop Dogg would have thought of the fact that now in every single house, every single person who lives in this apparently accursed street has suffered enough trauma to be in therapy for life at least. But the only qualified counsellor is not counselling and cannot find a counselling job, maybe because of her trial for murder. Anyway, that's a ramble to say my, how things have changed, how things have changed indeed. Then Canadian Helen dropped his line to say, wouldn't it be great if it turned out that Paul was misdiagnosed and he really had carpal tunnel in his hands, or even better yet, that his test results were mixed up with Stephen's. And he's the one with the terminal illness. I like Stephen. If only, if only, Helen. Helen to Helen. I really wish that was happening, but Helen to Helen, it's not happening. I don't hear any criticism here. Of? Of us. It's supposed to be everyone's a critic, right? Well, they're just writing them to say what they think about the show. Oh, not about us. Well, maybe about us. (laughs) And then finally, Deco Trash writes in to say, definitely jazz hands. Moving on to uh, our Will podcast for coffee now. Yeah, those were definitely jazz hands last week. I still haven't heard it straight from Gareth's mouth. I thought I posted it. Oh, maybe I didn't post it. I thought I was going to post it. What? Oh, that was it. I was going to post it and put a poll up to say jazz hands or sign language applause. and Right, but the only the... person's opinion who matters is Gareth Pierce, who's the one who did it. I think I might disagree. <laughs> we're drinking our own coffees this week. I'm not drinking Actually, anything. I'm I need a beverage. drinking a Coca-Cola Zero Cherry Vanilla. Oh no, just cherry. I should go grab one of those. It's so hot in here. Well, hurry up then. Oh. Hello. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. People forget about the YouTubes. But if you think your show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yes, we will. And now this. 
Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, welcome to last show tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the Geronimo contract. The Geronimo contract. Was this a Doctor Who episode masquerading as a Coronation Street episode? That's right, this was Kirk who accidentally picked up the sales bonus for answering the phone when he shouldn't have and successfully closed the Geronimo contract. I was Gavin and you were here to wish everyone a happy Good Friday. Yes. Last last Friday was Good Friday, so I should have done that last Friday. But you didn't. I didn't. Because Easter doesn't work like that. Because... Easter is the Sunday. It's that the, is it's on. the Sunday. Yes, the Sunday in April. The th- the Sunday in April. Well, it's not always in April. Sometimes no, it's, it's not. in March. So it is the. I don't know. The first Sunday after Lent. The first full moon after. I don't know. The spring equinox. There you go. <laughs> I don't know these things. I just celebrate it. I nice, don't care. A nice, carefully considered religious <laughs> holiday. We'd fallen into the schedule of recording on a Saturday morning, and this was an unusual Friday night recording where I was in danger of falling asleep during the summer storyline. Seems we've been doing Friday nights for the longest time now. Yes, because we value our Saturdays doing other shit. This was thanks to stupid football. We both had the day off work and had a Helen and Gavin's big day of fun. We ate Thai food and I bought a bass guitar. Good times. Good. And now you've given that bass guitar away to Maya. That's what you're meant to do with instruments, I think. You're meant to, if you're not playing them. And I don't think I was ever really going to play bass guitar that much. Mm-hmm. Give it to a kid who's going to learn how to play bass. What a great gift to give somebody. Absolutely. Most More people should be as generously hearted as you. Yeah. Now she's going to be standing on stage in about a month's time. With our daughter playing in a church, Cherry Bomb by the Runaways. Yes. Yes. I was trying to help Stelly figure out what they're going to wear for this. Hmm. And so we watched the Cherry Bomb video. No. (laughs) Where she's wearing a corset and fishnet stockings. No. And Stelly said, not in a million years. No, that church would burn down. (laughs) Ahead of planning the funerals of both her parents, Kelly gets a call to let her know she's due to inherit a small fortune from Rick the Chin's estate. Daisy isn't looking for things to worry about as Daniel and Nikki are thrown together to organise a school trip to Edinburgh, where a recently single Mrs Crawshaw is on the prowl. Sam finds himself discombobulated when... Jelena, what happened to her? Who knows? She comes over to Nina's roles for a chess date. Sarah decides to throw the cat amongst the pigeons by offering a bonus to the sales rep who brings in the most new business, while Faye and Michael compete to take their eyes off an unlikely champion. Cut. <laughs> Summer's lengthy revision sessions worry Willie and he calls on assistance from Amy who makes a troubling discovery. Faye and Craig decide to try to have another baby and then change their minds, oh thank God. Thank God. Imran suspects that Abby is back on the muck, so makes a shocking proposal to Toya regarding the long-term care for Alfie. Roy buys cider, Tommy can belch the alphabet, and Maria's Instagame is on point. Our moment of the week was Craig telling Beth why he doesn't want kids right now. Craig, you got a moment of the week. Yeah. Sitting on a curb, if I remember correctly. With Beth. And our boring moment of the week was Summer's Great Gatsby question. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street, this time last year. 
Shall we dive in? Amadea. Yes, please. We've just got the five storylines to cover this whoop, week. Whoop. I'm kind of smooshing this one together. No. Later, I'm smooshing like a left and right breast. Smooshing two storylines together later on. But let's start tonight's proceedings with Damon Bad Omens 2. <laughs> on Monday at home, Harry would like an apple in his packed lunch. But as they're about to leave, Adam gets a text from Didi demanding his help on the Damon case. Just fucking go then, says Sarah, absolutely furious. This proves that having another kid is a bad idea for her when he can't help to care for the one that they've got. Later, Sarah has dumped Harry at her mum's and she's been blocked in by another car and she needs to get to her meeting at the rape hotel. A passing Damon offers her a no-strings ride, which she is happy to accept. On his face. At the hotel, well, maybe later. At the hotel, Damon has found Sarah's loyalty card for Bouncing Babes, which is the much lauded Soft Play Company. The Soft Play Company is called Bouncing Babes, which I think brings us back to Breasts again. Soft Play. It gives a whole new meaning to Soft Play. Indeed. If you know what I mean. He decides to hang around and have a drink while Sarah has her meeting. In their meeting, which is obviously conducted in public in the hotel bar, because why not? Her client likes the designs, but feels that they're soulless. Sarah struggles. Fuck you, lady. So Michael Damon, worked really hard on those. So Damon barges in, pretending to be pop group manager, who loves the designs he sees on the table, and wants to talk numbers later. He leaves a gobsmacked Sarah his card, which the client notices has his room number on the back. Ha ha. Impressed by Damon's interest, the client would also like to talk numbers, if you don't mind. Sarah storms up to Damon's room later to read him the riot act, but Damon plays it cool, offers her a drink, and Sarah wastes little time in cooling down and accepting that drink. So they get chatting and Damon opens up about his last day of freedom as if he's off to prison tomorrow after the trial. He admits he's scared of getting locked up. He's never been locked up before. He's not proud of the choices that he's made and getting locked up for 15 years is probably karma. Exposing this vulnerability is enough for Sarah and now she wants him to expose his penis. She demands her hole right now. Yes. And then there's a little tracking shot of the, their clothes on the floor. Right. And there's this, basically, a, a red flag that just leaps out in the a, shape of... A, a condom wrapper. A Johnny wrapper. Mm. So, if we were thinking that this is maybe the start of a Who the Daddy storyline, there's a condom being involved here. Mm. Let's which all which doesn't that. mean Which doesn't mean that it's impossible, it just means it's a bit more unlikely. Yes. Hopefully. So afterwards, Sarah's already regretting it and it doesn't help when Damon pretends that he's chuffed that he's won his bet now. He insists he was joking and that he's really falling for her. But Sarah wants to write it all off, forget it ever happened. She gets dressed and she leaves. And she heads to the bar to pay for her bill as Michael arrives from another storyline and she ushers him out to head off home as Damon appears. She tells him the meeting was a great success. She t- yeah, she tells Michael. Yeah. She heads back to the street and to the law office to apologise to Adam for being a cow. He apologises for being a prick and then mentions that they can't get a hold of Damon so he doesn't know why they're working so hard on the case right now. Sarah heads off to get speed dial for the two of them and Dee Dee. And as she's gone, Damon turns up with some bubbly to celebrate his final day but Dee Dee wants to keep her head down. When Sarah comes in with a curry, she's super suspicious when she sees Damon. Adam doesn't notice, but Dee Dee does a bit. Dee Dee notices a little look that yes. has just fallen off of Sarah's face. Yes. 
Later, Damon and Sarah leave. On their own, he admits how head over heels he is for her. Sarah says, another bat time, another bat channel. He got his hole, he won his bet, and now he's off to prison. This is going nowhere. Just my fucking luck, says Damon. Yes. And they part on pragmatic terms, although Damon does try to misquote Black by Pearl Jam a bit too much for my liking. <laughs> One day you're going to have a beautiful life. One day you're going to be a son in somebody else's sky. But why can't it be mine? Yeah. Cheerio then, says Sarah. Ta-ta. But back in the law office, underneath an onion badgie, Dee Dee finds a new piece of evidence that might just get Damon off. But not like that. But not like, because he's already gotten off like that. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, it's Wednesday, and that means Sarah Ooh. is dressed entirely in leather. She learned from Adam that there's a chance that they might get Damon off, but, but, not dif- like that. but differently from how Sarah did yesterday. Later, Sarah meets Leanne and Nick. Leanne wants Damon to be sent down, but Nick is worried that if he's guilty, Nick will get dragged into it and attempt to save Damon's own skin. By the trial, Dee Dee drops the bomb on the court. It seems that the drugs weren't logged as evidence until 24 hours after the arrest, when, says Dee Dee, anyone could have tampered with them. Right. This is mishandling of evidence, and she calls for the drugs to be inadmissible. Yeah, so he got a, he's getting off on a technicality. Which I think was... The only way he was ever going to get off. Correct. Considering he was a caught red-handed. Yeah. Kind of ridiculous that it took her this long to find this technicality, well, though, it was because under, it was right there. It was under an onion badgie. Yeah, but it hasn't been under an onion badgie for the over a week that they've been working on this case, where she's been dragging poor Adam in to stare at papers with her. I don't understand why she needed Adam's help so much. I was assuming that Adam was doing something a little shady on the side oh, really? and blaming Dee Dee but it doesn't look like that's happened no and uh, Dee Dee seems to be rather pleased to be laying the smack down in court to her her learned colleague yes who'd really needed a shave he did he, he looked you're shameful a, in the court you're a barrister for goodness sake man have a shave Dee Dee looks good in a wig though was she wearing a wig don't they have to I wear those wigs I don't think she was don't they have to wear them? I thought they had to wear them. I don't know if they have to. She had. She looks good in a robe with she, a with she, a with she, a cuff. She was wearing. She was wearing that, the robe. I don't think yes. she was wearing a a wig though. So it works. Damon is a free man, and he heads straight to the bistro to tell Nick, Leanne, and Sarah. Yay! Say all of them. Adam explains what happened. That without the drugs evidence, the case collapsed, and Sarah throws up in her mouth a little bit. Damon gets a quiet word with Nick and Leanne and promises again that he wants a clean slate. He wants a normal life and business. No more drugs, okay? Drugs are bad, okay? Okay. Damon has a word next with Sarah, who can't hide a disappointment. She'd have preferred it if he'd been sent down just to give him an e- just to give her an easy life. He wants another rumble in the sack, but when she says that she loves Adam, he says that he doesn't want any trouble. And this is seen but not heard by Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. And she approaches Sarah, and from the conversation, Dee Dee quickly figures it out. Oh my God, you've just got your hole off of him. Gulp, yeah. says Sarah. Yeah, she can't, she, she can't believe that it was just yesterday that this happened. Yeah. She's and, so shocked. And, uh, and Sarah says, this is none of your business. And Dee Dee says, well, it is because I work your, with your, your husband. husband's my boss. I think that's still none of your business, Dee Dee. I don't think Adam being your boss and her husband. And also Damon is her client. Yeah, I'm still struggling to see how it's anything to do with Dee Dee. 
Well, it doesn't matter because Sarah s- spilled. Sarah's dying to tell somebody, doesn't she? I thought she was very quick to to confess, although she did confess by not saying anything at all. Yeah, initially. He tried it on with Dee Dee first, so. He did, and I was wondering if she was getting a little bit, a wee bit uh, jelly on this. I don't think so. No? No. So anyway, Dee Dee and Sarah go outside to talk about it some more, and Damon sees them leave, and he, he sees them chatter-chattering together. Outside, Sarah confesses that she got her hold in the rape hotel yesterday, thinking that he'd be sent down. And the fact that it was yesterday is a huge deal for Dee Dee. Sarah insists that she loves Adam, who she knows will never forgive her, so she doesn't intend to tell him about any of this, and she makes Dee Dee keep shtoom about it. Dee Dee agrees, but says that she should worry more about Damon blabbing, which is a very good point. Back inside, Damon wants Dee Dee and Adam on retainer for his business interests, which makes Adam's eyes turn to pound signs. Then he suggests to Sarah to go home to continue celebrating, and this allows Damon to chat to Dee Dee privately, and he quickly susses out from that conversation that she knows about the afternoon of boning in the rape hotel. She tells him that if he really has turned over a new leaf, he'll keep away from Sarah. Later at home, Sarah's worried about Adam getting involved in more criminal activities with Damon, and he insists it'll just be contract stuff, so she nips out on the pretense of getting more wine, but meets Damon in the ginnel, he kind of tells her that he's in love with her a little bit and was hoping that she felt the same way. She insists again that she loves Adam. Damon says that he loves him too, again, after the whole <laughs> getting me off with, with Dee, Dee and stuff. So they agree but not like that. at Sarah's behest just to stay out of each other's way. Back at the flat, Adam apologises for pressurising her into having another baby and he says that they both have their plates full. He'd love it if she was pregnant right now but is happy to wait. And I was like, oh, was that foreboding at all? No. She announces that she's off the pill now and is eager to let nature take its course. So Sarah gets her hole again. Yeah, and what what birth control pill is she taking that... Oh, I'm 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 just not going to take it today, and that means I can get pregnant today. I That's not how this works. If you stop taking the pill, that makes your period start. That's what. That's how I thought it worked. Well, but you take the pill. You stop taking the pill. You have your period, and then you start taking the pill again. Right. Well, there are, there are there are built-in kind of like sugar pills in the in the packet for when your period is. Right. Right. So it kind of regulates when you're ovulating. And if you took the pill yesterday, even if you didn't take it today, you're not ovulating in, in no, 24 I, hours. No, and to be fair, I don't think they're expecting to get knocked up yesterday. Well, no. I mean, having sex today when you took your pill yesterday, the chances of you getting pregnant are very slim. Yes. And like I said, I don't think they're expecting it. Right. But it's a stupid thing for her to say. Like, oh, I didn't take my pill today. Well, oh no. Sarah's not, she's not adverse to saying stupid things. Although she's, is she still dressed in leather at this point? I think she might be. I, I think she's taken some of that leather off. Oh. <laughs> she's still got the gimp mask on, though. So. <laughs> What's the main thing? Anyway, that brings us on to this week's hard debate. <laughs> Who would you rather get your hole with if you were Sarah? Adam. Adam or Damon? I mean, they're both assholes. I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with either one of them. But I'd probably choose Adam just 
because of his accent. This was and all. it would remind me of you, hmm. who I'd rather be getting my hole hmm. with. Does that make it better or worse? <laughs> I don't know. It makes it something. Because you would have so, to be you would have to be dead for me to not even making think it about better. It. <laughs> not making it better. So, Adam or Damon were the options. Yes. And this was a very well subscribed poll, mm-hmm. over a hundred votes, but it wasn't even close. Adam sixty two point eight percent, Damon thirty seven point two percent. And I really expected a bigger vote for Damon. I think I expected Adam still to win. Right. But I expected it to be closer to fifty fifty. Because he's a short king. People prefer the tall kings. Yeah. People a, people are biased towards tall men. This is true. So on Friday at the flat, Adam and Sarah recovering from last night's passion, collecting in the pool under Sarah's breakfast bar seat. Ugh. Ugh. That's disgusting. You're disgusting. In the base wrote, Damon has heard that Manchester Uni is building some student accommodation nearby and thinks they should be taking advantage of that. Leanne hasn't a clue what he's talking about. And she just he just stares at her. And that's how the scene ends, with Damon going, really? You don't see how mm. students plus bar equals right. money? Being being built on some some abandoned property, you yeah. say, some uh, abandoned land. Indian burial ground, you say? Mm. Mm. No, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking of that, I'm thinking not of... Not thinking about ghosts. No, I'm, okay. thinking, I'm thinking of Sinkhole Leo. Ah. 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 That's an interesting point. Because we traditionally find dead bodies when people start right. construction. Yeah. Think of Rick the Chin. Where students are going to live. <laughs> in the base row, Adam, Leanne and Didi are talking about Damon and telling Leanne that they think he has turned over a new leaf after all. And Leanne makes a hmm face. Leanne's make, been making a lot of hmm faces recently. Mm. So much for keeping out of each other's way, Damon and Sarah meet in the middle of the street talking about the new students that'll be moving in and maybe the bistro should get a late licence to take advantage of that. He says Leanne doesn't think it's a gore, but reckons that they'll all be talking about the idea behind his back. And that's exactly what they're doing. Right, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Fucking students, says Leanne. And who can argue? Maybe (laughs) there is something in the idea after all, though, says Nick. Mm. Damon has a meeting with Leanne and Nick and offers to pick up all the extra work from the late licence. This is what he's good at and what he's been looking for. And they could make tons of money. And now it's Nick's turn for his eyes to turn to pound signs yeah but let's remember when he was doing this in ibiza he was doing shady deals and not following regulations and other stuff right so it's not like he's good at it well i think the show's deciding now that he is good at it hmm. that this is what he's good at hmm. it's turning a profit from a club hmm. although leanne makes a good point though because with the bistro being in the residential area is it likely to get a late license? You wouldn't mm. want steamers just pissing in your letterbox at three o'clock right. in the morning. And you really don't want to hear at three AM when you're trying to sleep. Right. Oh. Later Leanne has come around to the idea but Nick agrees, so they decide to apply for the license and let's just see what happens. Right. Sarah turns up at the law office to see Adam and as she's waiting for him, she apologises for putting Dee Dee in a difficult position. Adam appears and he and Sarah head off to have a quick word with Damon at the bistro. So the meeting with Damon at the bistro is also with Nick and Leanne to get their opinion on the late licence. 
Ah, who gives a shit, says Adam in the head home. Well, that was a waste of time, says everyone, to finish this storyline for the week. Yes. So, a Who the Daddy storyline, I think, if this is going to work, if this is what this is, and surely this is what this is, right? Right. You don't have people talking about contraception and you don't see Johnny rappers on the floor and all that sort of stuff. If this isn't a story about somebody getting knocked up, and it ain't Damon that's getting knocked up. No. And with the history of Sarah and Adam trying for a baby and stuff, I think this is fairly clearly going to be a Sarah's getting pregnant, but... Who's the daddy? Who's the daddy? But for this to work, I think Damon and Sarah are going to have to have another role in the hay. I don't see that happening. Although, I don't know. I'm, as you know, I'm not all that fond of Sarah as a character. No, really? <laughs> Even with the leather. That's your thing. Oh, because of the leather. Yeah. And because you enjoy the leather so much. Maybe that's why I'd sleep with Adam. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> I think as it as it finishes this week, it looks unlikely, but let's remember they promised to stay out of each other's way and right. within twenty four hours they're speaking to each other in the middle of the yeah. streets, which right. isn't keeping out of each other's way. Yeah, you can't so there help is definitely walking down the street, pool. There's a pool between them, I think, that is going to put them in a situation where this sort of thing could happen again. Yeah. And if this is what they're going to do, it needs to happen again because the condom thing and the fact that she was still on the pill right. would suggest that they've taken all right. reasonable precautions to make sure that Sarah's not going to get pregnant from that encounter. Right. In fact, that little bit of... Sleuthing and that little bit of eagle-eyedness it got its way into the Manchester Evening News. Ooh. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Late license for the bistro. Something has to happen to turn this around right. for them, right? Yes. And I kind of think, because if I remember correctly, what Ryan said is that he would buy these clubs and then like run them into the ground, right? And then steal the money. Was that what Ryan said? I, I remember can't Ryan remember. It was a something. long time ago. But mm. there was something shady where he would just buy them up and be shady. Mm. So, I don't know. It, it feels like... It feels like Damon is very good at pulling the wool over many people's eyes. He, he is a charming man for that. Yes. But I do think, as we've kind of mentioned in in previous episodes that there is the kind of Bernie renaissance that's happening here where or is it well it feels like it i, I think or i believe him when he it? says that he's turned over a new leaf i don't know that i do i think i think i do well we'll see as, as we kind of find a little bit in another storyline there's a reluctance on his behalf to get involved in other kind of sketchy yeah, but that, that could not, that the reason for that could possibly be that he just doesn't want to get his hands dirty in something that he can't control. Mm. He's in, he's, he is now in complete control of the situa- situation. He has wheedled his way back into the hearts and minds of Nick and Leanne, of all people, as well as Adam and Sarah, sort of. He's gotten, in, and he's gotten into Sarah's pants even. Yeah. 
That did happen. It did happen. And she instigated it. She kissed him first. She fell for it. She fell for the for the story. It was the It was my brother locked me up in a closet when his girlfriend came over. And that's why I'm afraid of jail story. Mm. Give me a break. Oh, sounds s- like someone's heard that before. <laughs> I'm sick of him blaming everything on Harvey. When everyone has said that you think Harvey's bad, wait till you meet Damon. Right. Didn't yeah. they say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they the did. Damon was supposed to be the the real the baddie. One. Yeah, and when he arrived, that seemed to be the case the way that he treated Jacob. But again, his own son, part of the Bernie Renaissance, that he goes away for a couple of weeks and then comes back a different character. Or has he? Or has because he? Because that doesn't really make sense for that to happen with him, because he's not a delightful grandma. <laughs> he no. is. He is, you know, a bad guy who was awful to his son, who may come back at some point. I tell you, if we ever see Damon starting to sell Gemma's pee, we'll know that something's going on. Moving on to our next story line this morning. This morning? This evening? This evening. Today. Today. Tonight. What is Eileen's problem? In parentheses, seriously. On Monday, Glenda drops into Eileen's to pick up her lucky boxer shorts and explain about Estelle's franchise model of that stage school thing. Did it did it feel to you that both Eileen and The Undertaker were just a little too grossed out by the idea of of Glenda wearing boxer shorts? I really didn't. I thought I was missing something. Was there skid marks in them or something? No, they were clean. Eileen had just cleaned them. Had there been skid marks in them then? And they're like, and well, we'll never know because she didn't recognize them. Remember, she pulls them out and she's like, these have seen a little bit of wear. I've never seen them before. I wonder who they could belong to. She's like, didn't you put that in the washing machine? What is going on here? Yeah, it's not a big deal to wear boxer shorts. There's nothing wrong with a woman wearing boxer shorts. No. There really isn't. No, they're comfy. I enjoy them. They're comfy. Yay. I have I have my my Marvel's Avengers boxer shorts that I wear occasionally. Let me be sharing a little too much there. <laughs> anyway, Estelle apparently has asked to meet up again, which Glenda hopes is about offering her that franchise opportunity that's going in Weatherfield. And indeed, it is. When they meet in Nina's roles later, Estelle explains that her franchise for the Weatherfield uh, thing has pulled out, so she offers but it not like that. to Glenda at half price, five grand, and it's yours. And this very it's not much, even half price. This half price would be forty five hundred, because it's nine grand. Oh, look at you doing math in your head. This very much tickles Glenda's Watsits. Fuck you. So she speaks with George and Eileen in the Rovers later. Eileen was in the middle of making a pitch on going on a Mediterranean cruise. Ooh la la! Glenda's lucky pants have worked though, and she's accepted the offer. And now she just needs to find the money. Eileen is worried that it's legit. Remembering the double, the double glammy stuff from a couple of years ago. Yes. George wishes her the best of luck. And back home, Eileen brings up the cruise idea again. But George, has he's got something in his mind. And he floats the idea of lending the money to Glenda. Eileen, who, let's remember, doesn't like Glenda, is not a fan of the idea and doesn't want George ripped off. And she reminds us all again of double glammy. But it's George's money, she says. And then she fucks off in a huff to the shops. Yeah, see, this is... A franchise is something a bit different from a pyramid scheme. 
It's not like it's not like Glenda has to sell other franchises to other people in no. order to make money. No. She needs students. Yes. So it's like the McDonald's in town is a franchise. Correct. Yeah. You buy the license to trade as right. whatever. Right. So Eileen is really comparing apples to oranges here. You know, and and it doesn't feel like she's in really she's in good faith in this concern. Well, it could still be a bad investment. If Glenda can't get the students or if she's just not very good at it. Right. It could be a, a a bad thing to throw some money at. Yeah, but look at Glenda. How could she be bad at this? Yeah, I know. Unless she's bad with money and, and keeping the books and stuff. Which you could see. Yeah, but uh, actually teaching kids to sing and dance, that sounds fabulous and right up her street. Yeah, this is why you employ a accountant if you're not good at that sort of thing. Correct. So George goes to see Glenda and tells her about his concerns and mentions the double glammy thing for the third time this episode. No. But Glenda says Estelle has bailed her out on numerous occasions in the past and is very trustworthy. Glenda suspects that maybe George doesn't trust her. And this seems to call George's bluff and he changes his mind and decides to give her the money after all. But yeah, not a word to Eileen, he says. Because he's turning to Johnny for some reason. Eileen gets back from the shops to find Glenda celebrating with the good Uzo. Glenda announces her good news and says that she's cashed in an Isa that she'd forgotten she had. She rips off for a shite and Eileen asks if George lended her the money and George denies it. So I'm not sure why George is denying this. He's already had the conversation with Eileen where Eileen says it's your money and now whether she meant to say it or not like that... It doesn't really matter because it is George's money. Correct. And really, whatever he decides to do with it is up to him. Because nobody wants to make Eileen mad because she's very, very scary. <laughs> she's not scary here. She's, she's just nasty. She's just a bit nasty this which week. Which is scary. When she gets that, when she gets her retching, retching, resting bitch face on... She can be terrifying. And I can't remember why she doesn't like Glenda. Because Glenda is loud and blousy and cheerful. And Eileen is not. Uh, she was really getting them my tits this week. Glenda drops into Eileen's early in the morning with coffees and pastries, which gets Eileen's suspicions up. Glenda's looking for a favour. She has a bunch of posters for her little big shot franchise that she asks Eileen to put up in the cab office. And Eileen reluctantly agrees. Later on the street, Eileen tells George that she's pleased that he refused to make the investment as she gives it two months before it goes belly up. Then Glenda arrives back in town. Uh, On what basis, Eileen? On what basis? I know, on no basis. No, just just because you hate Glenda. Yep. Glenda arrives back from town in a taxi with tons of bags of equipment and accessories and various light entertainment dainties and stuff. Costumes. Cost a fortune, says Glenda but all for a good cause. And George does what everyone on the street does after giving someone a loan and then the person who's got the loan spends the money. Mm-hmm. He looks worried and thinks, well, maybe I shouldn't have given them a loan after all. Like you're giving somebody a loan just to keep it in their account. Right. No, the whole point of giving the loan is so you can spend the money. Right. And also, you know, these are, these are tax write-offs. These are supplies for her business. You know, this would be like a, somebody being worried because 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 George is spending too much money on, um. Oh God, what's that stuff called? 
Poopery? <laughs> no, the stuff that they inject into your into your veins. Formaldehyde? Yes. That was always going to be my second guess. <laughs> Later, he and Glenda are talking outside the community centre, which seems to be Glenda's HQ. And George learns that the kids that had been signed up for the school was a bit overstated by this Estelle character. Uh-oh. There's only four of them, and two of them have pulled out. But my like investment, that. cries George. And this, of course, is overheard by a passing Eileen, who says she isn't disappointed <laughs> that George spent his own money, although she absolutely is. It's more that he lied. Right, and we get we get an actual jump scare here because they don't know that Eileen is standing there behind the door. Right. They slam the door. There's Eileen with the bitch face on, and everybody jumps. Everyone is terrified. In the pub later, Eileen proves that she isn't bothered by sulking and moaning about the cruise that she expected George to pay for. She says to George, you ask for my advice and you ignore it. And he says, actually, I don't I didn't don't ask, I ask for your advice. advice. You just gave it. She says she'll keep her mouth shut then. I'll believe it when I see it, mumbles Glenda. What? Says Eileen. She said she'll believe it when she sees it, confirms Todd. That yes. was hilarious. Yes, Todd was just being the most absolute Todd in the storyline. Uh, and I love it. Funniest line of the week, I think. Still in the pub. Glenda is running a prize raffle to raise funds in awareness of the stage school thing. And when it's time to make the prize draw, the winner is Evelyn. She goes to collect her prize, hoping for a hamper or some cash, but Glenda confirms that she's just won five salsa lessons from Glenda. Glenda's expecting Evelyn to pass the prize on to her grandkids. Great grandkids, says Evelyn. But she insists they already have enough going on and she'll be keeping the prize for herself. So on Friday... Who? Who? tickets for a raffle without knowing what the prize is well even was says claims that she was distracted by roy talking about the dog stuff from another storyline oh. on friday estelle is that eileen's getting glenda up to speed with the importance of her first day of instruction when eileen comes in unhappy that her front room is being used as a meeting venue what the fuck is Eileen's problem here? She wants to go on a cruise! Estelle tells Glenda not to worry. If she fails, she can get 25% of her deposit back. At Little Big Shots... It's Gl- a win-win, she claims. Yeah, Glenda's still preparing when George and Eileen come in. Glenda's leg is stuck on a waist-high bookcase or something, so has to be rescued. She was using it as a bar. She's worrying herself sick, but George insists that he thinks... It's going to be a mahusif success. Yes. Knock them dead, he says. And when we see it later, the kids have had a ball at the little big thing. Mm-hmm. And George and Estelle are very and quite impressed, respectively. She finishes the kids with a, a game of wink murder or yeah. murder wink. Yes. Which I think is among us in real life. You wink at somebody, they count to five and then... They pretend to die. Right. And you've got to guess who the murderer is. Yes. Seems like a good one. Yeah. You as never a, played anything like that as a kid? Games? No. <laughs> you no. just straight up murdered people. Just stock markets and murdering people. <laughs> yep. It was a junior American psycho. But only it was a British psycho instead. Right. So, what are your thoughts on this one this week then? Yeah. I'm glad Glinda is happy. <laughs> And I wish I wish Eileen was nicer, but Eileen is not known for being nice. So I for, I forgive her for being kind of nasty. Um, I'm I'm concerned that this might drive 
a wedge between her and the undertaker though and i like them as a couple because mm. that's the only time she smiles is when she's hanging out with the undertaker well the, the i think the progress that we've made recently is that this storyline would have been what split them up again last year right and they haven't split no so that's fine. the next scene they're sitting next to each other in the pub right she just wanted to go on a cruise right so that's good. I'm just thinking, what kind of Undertaker just has five grand sitting around? Well, it's... Undertakers are fucking loaded. Seriously. Seriously. It's it's a business that's always busy and has been busier than normal, unfortunately, the past three years, right. thanks to the COVID. Right. So he should be rolling in the dough. Well, he's still got that big bloody house. That right, that nobody lives in. Why is Glenda not living there and doing her laundry there? She's in the pub. Right, why is she why living, she in, living the pub? in the pub? They've got a big giant house. Why is George and Eileen not living there? And there was a, a bit that I kind of skipped over where it sounded like George made sure that Glenda didn't get any of the inheritance for when Archie died. That doesn't really make sense either. No. Because Island System, you're right to, to keep the inheritance. I don't know if you right. have I think I think I think what, what it is 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 the inheritance of the of the mortuary of of the business and that she didn't get a piece of the business. Which I can kind of agree with Eileen on that because what does Glenda know? Well, she well, knows a little bit. The first day she that also, she arrived, she she was the one that stood up and brought right. that, brought that uh, funeral home. That's getting, true. Getting dressed up and looking mighty fine when she did and, it. And uh, Glenda, when talking to George, said something about, "Look, you know, you got brought into the business with Dad. What do I, you know, what do I have?" Sort of thing. Although I really liked Glenda and George. I, I like their dynamic. I like their siblinghood. I liked when they were dancing around the, the living room. That yeah. was really cute. You know, they're really cute together as brother and sister. There's good little anchor characters that are that are happening here. I'm not saying that Eileen isn't a, a good character, but she does tend to repel rather She's than bitchy. attract. Yeah. Right? So you've got George, who is just a lovely character. And I think we were all thrilled when he arrived and turned out to be as good as he is. Mm -hmm. Then you've got Glenda, who's just the perfect sister for him. Absolutely. The two of them, and then you throw Todd in with that. Oh my God, love it. What love it. That table, at the, or the little booth that they had in, in the Rovers of Eileen, George, Todd and Glenda was, was great. So it kind of almost makes Eileen a better character because she's surrounded by... Yeah. Other really good, attractive right. characters that... Right. And then there's Mary occasionally in the house, because remember, Mary lives there. Yeah, and I've, I've been avoiding St. Sean, so... <laughs> so have I. Right. I think the Eileen reaction stuff was maybe meant to be funnier than it came across. Because I think this is meant to be a funny, right. light storyline. Because hmm. there was plenty about it that was... I think the jump scare was meant to be funny. Was that? A, it wasn't really a jump scare, was it? It well, yeah. Well, it was. It was modeled after a jump scare where you don't know that the bad guy is hiding behind the door. Mm. You know, they shut the door 
And there's Eileen looking murr. Mm-hmm. And they all jump. They're all scared of her. Yeah, it, it was good fun. I, I hope, like you said, I hope Glenda does, is able to make a go of it. But I don't want that to be at the expense of her getting shifts at the Rovers because her behind the bar is becoming more and more essential. I think the the Rovers needs a character like Glenda behind the bar as as much as possible because the things that she adds to other people's storylines is just great. Yes. I, I'm a fan. Yes, we are both fans. Moving on then, our next storyline is Ready for Freddy. On Monday... There is a little thing called love. And then rolls. Roy dogs. is off to a bat roost with his friend Melvin, who I thought he'd fallen out with. Well, apparently they're back on. And Melvin's dog friend, Freddy, who is a wee yappy type dog. Evelyn, who seems to have forgotten her embargo of Nina Rose, thinks it's a big hamster, not a proper dog, but advises Melvin to keep Freddy off the floor. That was quite funny. Later, Roy comes back, sons Melvin, but a vec Freddy. It seems Melvin took a turn during the bat roost thing and is in hospital with a suspected heart attack. It's not looking good. And Roy has offered to look after the dog. Freddy suffers from separation anxiety and can't stand being put down. But not like that. Roy goes to see Evelyn, hoping that she'd look after the dog for him, given that he's not a dog person. And Evelyn currently has a dog vacancy, but Evelyn is not ready. And besides, it's not a proper dog, so she passes. Back at Nina's Rose at closing time, Roy has received some bad news. Melvin is dead. Dum dum dum, and he's stuck with the fucking dog. Dum dum dum. On Wednesday, Roy has not slept well. Freddie has kept him up all night, and I like that. He gives Melvin's sister a call to offer his condolences and to ask what to do with the dog. But at this question, the sister seems to hang up, which <laughs> hilarious. This is so funny. Oh, like, right. This dog has a reputation of being just what, an Roy? asshole. What, Roy? We can't hear you. Really, You're breaking up. I really hope this dog's just an ass. I'm going into a tunnel now. Left holding the dog, Roy goes to get some food from Devs and asks Evelyn for a recommendation. She says that he only needs a few tins because he's only got the dog for a couple of days. But Roy explains that Melvin's family want nothing to do with the dog, so he's stuck with it. Evelyn doesn't think Roy's a dog person, and having a dog he doesn't want is going to end in tears. Roy goes back to the cafe and has a word with Sean about dog ownership. Sean explains about David's face when he's caught shitting on the carpet. And the dog's face isn't much better, she says. Yet more evidence. Now, Somebody's listening to the show. I don't know how much credit we can take for, for this bit, because the whole joke is the fact that, that they both the dog's called David. Yeah. But we regularly... We're regularly making these kinds of jokes. We make this joke every time All we mention the time. David the dog. All the time. Every time. Every time. We make the same joke. We do. Over and over and over and over again. Yes, we do. Pig's tits, says Gav. <laughs> Still waiting for somebody on the show to say pig's tits. But this was one of three things that happened this week. That yes. Was, are they taking the piss at us here a little bit? <laughs> Kind of hope so. We deserve a writer's credit. Oh, don't go on about that bloody <laughs> sinkhole again. So, Roy speaks with a local dog shelter and agrees to drop Freddy off later. In the pub, Evelyn asks after Freddy, and when Roy explains that he's now in the shelter, 
Evelyn loses her shit. She does. Calling it disgraceful and lamenting that that poor wee dog has now been rejected and pushed from pillar to post twice. So Roy has to make a Roy face. On Friday, he does. He gets a call from the dog shelter place and tells him that he wants his dog back, which is subject apparently to a home visit. And then there's rolls. Roy admits to Evelyn and Shona that he jumped into getting rid of Freddie too soon. And they're both pleased to hear that he's had a change of heart and will soon be a proud puppy daddy. Roy has bought a book on rehoming dogs and Evelyn has a look at it, but has to put it down when she sees a picture of a greyhound. That was a little bit sad. Yes. Later in Nina's roles, the dog rescue woman turns up to assess his residence. She's dressed like a 1980s children's TV presenter and should immediately be shown the door, but Roy obliges her. So the Nanny G lookalike has had a proper snoop around Roy's and gone through his drawers and is but now like happy that. to say that the place is suitable for a small, yappy-type dog. Huzzah! Give her an hour and the noisy wee shit will be dropped off with him. <laughs> so Roy has visited the pet shop and spent a fortune on accessories. Even thinks the flat needs dog-proofed, but then Nanny G comes in with Freddy, hands him over and then fucks off to interfere in someone else's life. Roy bonds with Freddy over a terrible joke about a tin of wild salmon. Yes. <laughs> and in that scene, it is clear that that dog loves Roy. It's so it's so cute because, you know, it's it's funny initially because everybody fucks off. The the dog lady is like, normally I I stay and wait until things settle down a little bit, but I've got another appointment. Shona fucks off for her lunch. Which like, I don't understand that Like at eight o'clock at night. Because that who's gonna run who's gonna ride the restaurant while she's out? Because Roy can't, because he's got a dog. Right. And a dog cannot be left alone. And Evelyn has to leave to take Hope and Ruby to Shining Big Stars. Or Shining Little Stars. Little Shining Stars. What is that place called? Little Big Shot, I think. <laughs> Little Big Shots. Yes. I don't know if it's Big Shots. I think it may be a Little Big Shot. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, Evelyn is off to there. So she leaves... Aggie leaves because Aggie was there having some tea and Evelyn, I think she leaves because of Evelyn telling, barking at her to give the dog some space yeah, when yes. she goes to pet him. Evelyn's taking control of this dog. Evelyn will have this dog, I think. Well, she will have this dog and Roy, mm. if I have anything to say about it. Right. But um, when is she leaving? Because isn't she leaving? Well, I thought from... An item in Corey News that Evelyn was off to do her one-woman show nationwide. Months ago. And was going to be coming back, but was going to be taking some time out. So, yeah. So I thought this was... I mean, we, we've seen a, a few little points over the last sort of month or two where it looked like, well, this is where we're going to lose Evelyn for a while. But right. it's never happened. I know. I'm curious. And I'm glad that it hasn't happened. I'm glad it hasn't happened. Because she's been good value for money recently. Either. She's always good value for money. Absolutely. So Roy is just left with this dog by himself and then just starts talking to it mm -hmm. and says, well, Evelyn says, I need to talk to you so you get used to my voice. And he's just chatting to the dog and tells a terrible joke. But he tells a terrible joke in a very dry Roy way. Mm -hmm. And he messes it up at first and has to start again. <laughs> and the dogs And the dog The dogs obviously love them. And the dog is so cute. And you know, it's not yipping or being a bitch. No. Cause it's a boy. 
Mm. And it's just, it's like one of those sweet, adorable scenes that I watched the show for. Instead of all the trauma porn. Fun Roy and his dog, yeah. You know, just this quiet, look at this old man talking to this, who's awkward with people and not very good talking to people. Just chatting to this dog and telling a joke. When was the last time you heard Roy tell a joke? 25 years ago when he told the same joke. Yeah, it's been 25 years since he's told a joke. And it's the same joke. He hasn't even come up with any new material. He's got one joke. All, he's got one joke. All his material is based on tinned fish. <laughs> so Which, it's, fair enough, it's a, a rich vein of, of humour. So this is really lovely. I think. I think having this responsibility and having this dog is really going to open something up in Roy. Yeah, there's been a few uh, press photos of mm-hmm. David Nielsen and the dog. Right. Obviously, as Roy. And he's got a little Roy smile on his face. I know. Roy does, not the dog. The dog yeah. just looks like a small yappy type dog. But it feels like this might be the start of a, a beautiful friendship. Absolutely. <laughs> And I think I'm all for it because the way that it's kind of been set up with Roy this year, ever since uh, Nina ran at a rock in a stream, that Roy had his phone, right? And this was this, this was the thing that was going to bring Roy into the 21st century or and, whatever, and, and, and it, make him more sociable and and bring him out of his shell. And we, I don't know if if it was written storylined for this or or what but i think we've quickly decided that that wasn't working no <laughs> this isn't roy so let's get rid of the phone and let's give him a, a wee dog instead yes and he's much better with the wee dog than he, he is. is with the phone he is can't play chess on the dog though but you can talk to the dog about chess right and i think he will yeah absolutely yeah i think i'm all for this me too all right i need the guitar no, no, you don't. There was no Justin this week. <coughs> there was no Justin this week. Put that guitar away. How dare you, sir? Oh, it's stuck. So that's a gig bag. <coughs> Why was it in the gig bag? I was at Steve's at lunchtime. We were, we were jamming. Oh. We had a little uh, twelve-bar blues just sitting out his back in the sun. That was quite nice. Oh. Highlight of the day. Justin Stalking's rights again. No, it doesn't. Again. There was no Justin storyline this week. What are you talking about? I can't be bothered to think about another storyline title. <laughs> then why did you bring the guitar out? That goes there. So I could do the intro. Yeah, but Justin's not in it. No, but I haven't changed the storyline title. But and, the storyline's not in it. And can I be bothered it. to do so? It's just Ryan and his face. Yeah, but it's it's the it's a consequence of the Justin Stalking's Rise Against story. This is a different story now. You're dragging, just dragging this out longer than it needs to be. Anyway. I hate that guitar playing. Alia is visiting Ryan in hospital, who Yay! apparently won't be allowed home until he's looked at his scars without the bandages, which seems like a cruel thing to do. I think they're concerned about his mental health. Mm. And they don't want to let him go 
until they are assured that he's not going to do harm to himself because of because of what the acid has done mm. to a tiny sliver of his face. Oh, it looks like it's more than that. It's well, the whole of that side of his face is bandaged up. Like all of all of like the main part of his face is fine because we get to see the main part of his face. Yeah, the side of his face. I don't I'm not sure you should be downplaying this. I'm just I have I have seen truly horrific pictures of of women who have been attacked in in this manner who have been truly disfigured and it it just it feels it kind of feels like an insult to them a little bit for them to have this character bemoaning when most of his face is fine oh that's a horrible take it's a fictitious character. I can have a horrible take. It is a fictitious character, but you're saying that he's been unreasonable, being self-conscious about the side of his face being burnt? I'm sure it hurts. I'm sure well, there's a lot says, of pain he said involved. It does. He says he's, he's still in quite a lot of pain. Yes, yes. I just think that they should have been more daring when it comes to this. Well, there's, pra- there's practicalities of it. Right? Well, they, yeah, because if he's going to be at a character for a long time, mm-hmm. yeah, in like a year, you won't even notice because they won't bother to put the makeup on I'm, anymore. I'm, I'm sure they will. And let's all remember, Tyrone has a Romanian flag tattooed in his leg. Let's, let's not forget that, just in case <laughs> we start <laughs> to see Tyrone in shorts soon. <laughs> things and, but no, or I, with no, his socks pulled down. I think this is absolutely this is absolutely believable. I think if. If you or I was in that situation with a bandage on the side of our face, I, I think we'd be at least a bit hesitant about seeing what it's going to look like, given that you know that somebody's fucking thrown acid at it. I think it's absolutely, absolutely believable for him to be like this. And and and, and who's to say that that this is this I, is, this, this is at the detriment of real life? I don't know. I think Victims I would. Victims of this, I don't know. I would be very happy that I still have a nose. Yeah, I think that's maybe a realisation that you come to sometime later. Hmm. Once you've kind of got over it a bit more. Yeah. But I think in the moment and in the now, I think you're still very, you're going to be hugely self-conscious about it. It's like fucking hell. Like when I got a spot in my nose, I feel very self-conscious about it. You do. So cute. So if I was like him with like half my face burnt, yeah, nothing. This is totally, totally in, in, in keeping with how I think most people would react. Fair enough. I knows that he's putting off looking at it. Ryan doesn't want to look like a Bond villain and he says he's still in an awful lot of pain and hasn't heard a peep out of Crystal, so that's Ibiza fucked. Alia says that she's pleased to hear it as she'd miss him if he went. Then George and Eileen on the street run into Carla to ask after Ryan and they advise her just to go to the hospital and not wait to be invited. So Carla seems to think on that for a bit. Yes, that was like the one good thing Eileen did this week. Right. Much later, Alia still has her arse stuck in the chair next to Ryan when, oh, Carla just rolls in. All right, ball bags, she says. Because that's... <laughs> that's what Carla that's says. That's now Carla's catchphrase, I've decided. Yes. All right, ball bags. Yes. Ryan and Carla talk about his injuries and his reticence to let people see him and his reticence to see his injuries. He says how much Alia has helped and Carla suggests maybe a romantic side to this. 
But that's all interrupted when Alia comes in with three empty cups of coffee. Carla and Ryan smirk. This was the second thing that happened that was, well, you know. Yes, I know. Obviously empty cups of coffee. Right, mm. right. Stacked up. So, mm-hmm. and that's all we get. We see you, Corey Riders. <laughs> so that's all we get for that. Um, good to see Ryan. Good, Good to, to see, see Carla oh, with Ryan. Right, because you forget about the two of them. Yeah, you forget. That's like basically the only family he has right, right. anymore. Yeah. Because everyone else is fucked off or is dead. And now your heart does seem to be sticking to her promise that mm-hmm. she's going to be sitting there. Right. That's a heavy seat to sit in. Yes. Cause, but she's happy to do it. Because he's not got much conversation because he's been stuck in hospital. And she's reading the paper, so it seems she's to doing, work for them. She's doing the crossword, isn't she? I think so. Yeah, that's what you'd be doing if I was stuck in hospital. You'd doing be the sitting crossword. there doing the crossword. I'd be doing the crosswords. Yeah. Going to get some water and teas every now and again. And and the wordle. You'd be doing the wordle. When was the last time you've done the wordle? More than a year ago, I think. Yeah, it's been so long. See, when he sold it, uh-huh. I think I played it once after that. And it just felt wrong going on to the New York Times site. Oh no, yeah. I played it while his, was it powerlanguage.co.uk or something like that mm-hmm. it was, it, it then redirected to the New York Times. Right. And then it just died. And I think I stopped playing it once, once it died. Apparently, recently, there were a lot of British people very angry at it because it was another, um, what they say is an Americanism. And I'm dying to know what it was. I'd be like favour or something like that. Apparently it was something that they think that they feel is just part of a word. Oh. So who knows? If you do the wordle and you know what I'm talking about, please message us and tell me what it was. <laughs> I am dying to know. I used to like the wordle. It was it was good. It was um I was watching the Tetris movie. We will get back to this. I was you watching watched the, the Tetris movie without me? I did. Fuck I watched you. the Tetris movie. It's it's alright. I'm dying it, to watch that. Well, it's, it's on Apple TV. I know, I know. And uh, it's... Uh, I don't have a lot of time anymore. It's a movie that's kind of about contract law. Yeah. An awful lot, but... And Russian mafias. But you think the last time a game really was made by somebody in their... Essentially, well, they weren't in their front room or anything like that, but mm-hmm. a kind of homemade game sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Probably was something like Wordle. Yeah. That really took the world by storm. Right. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, Among Us. Yeah. <laughs> Second Among Us reference of the night. Maybe the last. <laughs> Our final storyline tonight is Tim's mum about the house. should learn how to play the guitar to that. Yes, you should. On Monday, Stephen is celebrating. The Gazette want to interview him for Snapper or whatever it's called. A passing Ronnie hopes he gives Michael his fair dues. Tim's mum had hoped he'd decided on a wedding date by now, but Stephen just ignores that. It's like, <laughs> pretend that I never heard it and she'll stop talking about it. Stephen gets a call from Rufus demanding a meeting in an hour. In the factory, Michael is already in on a bank holiday working on designs. Stephen apologises for being a total prick last week. As compensation, Michael demands to be present at the Rufus meeting, but Stephen declines because Michael's dressed like a railroad person from the 1880s. Is he? 
He wore a white t-shirt and clean jeans. He was dressed casually. So he goes away. He looks he, like George Michael in 1985. And he comes back wearing a, a blazer. So he's taking and a it different to t-shirt. Yeah. But when the meeting with Rufus starts, Michael just barges in anyway. And Rufus is pleased to see the genius responsible for the designs. And he shows off his new work, which Rufus like. Overall, Rufus is super impressed with Michael as he secured the deal too. Brains and beauty, eh? Hmm. When Michael is off making tea, Rufus has decided that he now wants 50% of the profits and he gives Stephen 24 hours to think it over. I love Rufus. 50% of the profits. I love Rufus. Like, <laughs> you might as well just take them all. You might as well. But it's, it's I, I love it because... Because he knows that he, he likes to see Stephen squirm. Oh, this is... And I like to see Stephen squirm. <laughs> right. So I love Rufus now. He's yeah. my favourite. Rufus is great. Meanwhile, Rufus starts schmoozing with Michael and in private, he announces that he wants to poach Michael and his designs and lure him down to that London. It's too big a move for Michael, but Rufus asks that he gives it proper consideration as he thinks Michael is really going places. Later, Ronnie tells him to bite Rufus's hand off, and if he wants to make something of himself, he's going to have to cut those apron strings. Meanwhile, as this is going on, there's the Paul storyline. So let's catch up with the Paul storyline from Which? What the hell? Well, yeah. So Paul hasn't heard back from his contact from last week that he got from Damon. So he calls Damon, who's busy in another storyline, about to get his hold of for Sarah. So just to get Paul off the hugging phone, Damon tells him to nick a nice motor and leave Niall a message, and he's sure to respond. Later, Paul sees Rufus and Michael leave the factory and sees that Rufus is driving a fancy Porsche SUV, a Porsche Cayenne, I think. I was fancied one of them. Mm. 30 grand a motor there. Yeah. 15 years ago. God knows how much it would cost now. Meh. So, on Wednesday, in the morning, Michael is not a happy camper as Aggie is still in the shower. Dee Dee suggests that he moves out and gets his own fucking shower. Michael decides to tell his sister that he can't afford it, but do it through the medium of dance. <laughs> at the factory, Stephen is meeting with Rufus. Stephen angrily tells Rufus that he can't pay the 50% because his accountant won't stand for it. Rufus, who's making a house of cards... And not seemingly not paying attention to anything that Stephen says, says that he simply doesn't care and tells Stephen to dance. Dance, monkey boy, dance. Stephen doesn't like being blackmailed. Taste of your own medicine, says Rufus. So Stephen has to agree, but tells Rufus that this will be the last time he ends up on top. The tension is broken not like that. when the Weather Gazette arrived to interview Stephen. Right. And Michael is not happy at being frozen out at this interview. No. And is more unhappy when the knicker people start taking the piss out of him about it. And his father pissed off to the max when Stephen sticks his head out the door to tell Michael to grab some samples. He's still not invited in. Oh dear, says Sean. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, Stephen. <sighs> right. This is this is really unethical and indecent of Stephen to not have Michael come in there. It's an improper way to conduct things right and you know he could be he could be accused of racism in this i don't think it it, i think it's more his ego than race but yeah he's wanting to take the credit for the whole thing right but the fact of the matter is he's working off the back of a black man's work and not giving that black man credit so 
So it is kind of, it, it's benign racism, but it's still kind of racism. Oh, he'd still be doing the same if Michael was white. It's true. However, he's not. So a case could be made. Yeah, I don't think it would stand up. This is the last straw for Michael, though, and he storms out the factory telling the knicker people that he quits and they can all suck his balls. Yay! Michael calls Rufus, who is now back at his rental home, because he's renting a home in the, the Manchester area or right. somewhere in leafy Cheshire. Right, yes. It's and, a gorgeous house. And they arranged to meet at 8.30 at his place, which is rather palatial. Yes, and Me- he texts him the address. Meanwhile, because Stephen, it's not well known what his address is. Let's all remember that. Stephen is in the Rovers and in a foul mood because of the 50% thing. When Michael comes in, Stephen tears a strip of him for leaving early. Michael is going to let it go, but then changes his mind. He tells Stephen he's meeting Rufus at 8.30 at his rental home in the country to accept his job offer and to move to that London. London! He tells Stephen to stick his job up his arse. Right, right up, up his, his arse. arse. Same joke over and over again. In the pub, Michael has told Ed, Ronnie and Debbie that he's moving to London. London, says Ed. Why are you saying it like that, asks Debbie. And this is the the third third example. example. And she explains, if you don't know. Shameless. If you don't know. Shameless. Jump on the Twitter. Right. And I have collected through the years scenes from classic Corey, from Days of Yore, and current Corey, where one character says something about London and another character says, London? London! And I think I'm up to like 34 seconds worth. Right. And we even got two car- two actors from Coronation Street to say, Dollywood! In the same way two years ago. Thank you, Georgia Taylor and Jane Danson. Forever in our hearts. Yeah, that remains one of the coolest things that's ever happened. Yes. So, uh, where were we? London. London. Debbie explains that London isn't the end of the world. Ed is worried about how Aggie's going to react to this. But at home later, she seems to hide her emotions and pretends to react well. And she congratulates Michael on his wonderful opportunity. She says she'll get a hobby when Michael and Glory leave. And that hobby will be sobbing uncontrollably. (laughs) It will be learning how to cook. At Rufus's plush rented house, he's walking around listening to 80s dance music while wearing a white house coat, which means he's probably just interfered with himself. Right, and they're like party lights going off. And everybody dance now! Bomb, 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 bomb. I should have learned how to play that in the guitar. Everybody dance now! I didn't know I was capable of that. <laughs> There's a knock at the door, and I'm not sure why the show is making this secret, but we don't see who it is standing at the door, but it's someone Rufus knows. What do you want, Stephen? He asks. Now, before he does this, he's talking to somebody on the phone, yeah, and it sounds like he's about a meeting. He, and it's yeah, about his meeting with Michael. And he's talking to, and I'm assuming it's somebody at his at his business that he's talking about Michael and the fact that Michael is going to come and work for them, because he says, "Oh, that must be him now. He's early." So people at Rufus's business know about Michael mm. and know that Rufus wants to hire him. So even if something would happen to Rufus, one would think. That because other people in the, his business know about Michael, Michael would still get that job. Yes? 
Mm. He's basically already been offered the job. And, uh, the, and the business doesn't die with Rufus. I don't think uh, officially he's been offered the job, but I think I think the the company that Rufus owns or is, is a worker for, or mm-hmm. I think he owns it. No, he owns it. I think they have bigger fish to fry now than whether Michael's got a job or not. Yeah, but still. You, anyway, he's still alive he... at this point, so I don't know why we're talking about this. I don't know. I don't know. Michael arrives on time for his meeting later. The music is still playing, but Rufus isn't answering the door or his phone, which leaves Michael confused. Back to the Paul storyline now. Paul drops into Chesney's and borrows Chesney's car keys, giving Ches a call to ask to borrow the car, which he's already taken the keys. Then he peers out the window to see Rufus arriving at the factory in his fancy Porsche SUV. So Paul sits in Chesney's car and waits for Rufus to leave the factory before following him at a safe distance to his lovely rental home in the country. Paul parks a bit away, wanders through the woods surrounding the house and sees Rufus through the massive windows with his white house coat on, having a crafty. Rufus goes off for a video meeting later which allows Paul to sneak into the house, steal the car keys, unlock the Porsche and drive off. What becomes of Chesney's car at this point is anybody's guess. I quite liked how these storylines kind of intertwined because they looked like they were going to be separate and then it all kind of comes together that somebody's going to notice that Rufus's car's been stolen or isn't there. What's right. happened to Rufus's car? I'm wondering if they're going to find out that it was Paul and Paul's going to be... Accused of murder. But, oh, accused of something because nothing's happened, right? Mm. Or if the person that Paul has given the car to... If he finds out that right. something's going on. But anyway. And so Paul will get. On Friday, Michael is at home and panicking that Rufus stood him up and isn't returning his calls and he's burnt his bridges with Stephen, which in retrospect, all that wasn't a bright idea yesterday, Michael. Hmm. He changes his mind and tells Rufus to shove his job up his arse. Right. right. Up his arse. Can we do it? Twi- okay. Aggie has overheard and tells Michael to go and beg for his old job back out of Stephen's arse. In Nina's roles, Stephen and Tim's mum are talking about Michael quitting. Nina overhears that they're looking for a new designer, but Stephen isn't interested because Nina's a goth or something. Tim's mum is embarrassed that Stephen has been an asshole after a night of no sleep and killing people. (laughs) In the factory, Sean and Izzy are gossiping about Stephen and Tim's mum being an item when Michael comes in looking for the big boss man. So that's it out now, I think. People are starting to talk about Stephen. People are starting to notice that they're having... Breakfast at Roy's Rolls an All awful lot. All the time, right. Nina's Rolls. Despite this, Nina shows off her designs to Tim's mum, who's very impressed, and Stephen, who isn't. Then comes Michael to eat some humble pie. Stephen is an asshole to Michael, which again is flagged by Tim's mum, and he decides that he's going to give the job to Nina, and he tells Michael to get to fuck. Michael is furious, and Tim's mum and Nina don't know where to look, and there was this kind of strange little scene where Michael is standing right next to Nina, right. telling Stephen why Nina's a shite choice for this job and and Nina's just standing there taking it and it's ridiculous because she works in Roy's roles because Roy is her uncle she's been to school for fashion and design she's currently at school for that and she's and she's done designs for the factory before that were run and sold Mm. So she's proven herself already. Just a little bit. Apparently, this is something that I forgot, is that she she's not a designer there anymore because of 
the panic attacks she yeah, was she having after the right. stuff, right? Yeah. At home, Ronnie does the right thing by telling Michael that he got the cart before the horse with Stephen and Rufus. Ronnie thinks Rufus is his only option now that he doesn't know if the door is closed yet or not, so he advises that he either goes to see Rufus or hands his CV in to Roy for Nina's vacant waitress position. Which, she's not really a waitress. Michael and Ronnie show up at Rufus's swanky rental and are shocked to see the place swarming with police. Somehow they manage to just step through the, the, police, the police tape, tape. to have a word with the housekeeper. Sean's mum! And she, and she tells him that she found Rufus this morning drowned in the pool. Fucking hell, says Michael and Ronnie together. Fucking hell indeed, says Sean's mum. <laughs> they head straight back to the pub. Any excuse for a cheeky afternoon whiskey. Stephen comes in and apologises for his outburst and he learns from Ronnie that Rufus is dead. Stephen fakes shock but then seems genuinely taken aback when Ronnie claims that Michael met up with Rufus last night and Michael backs this up. Ronnie thinks that Stephen doesn't need to know that Rufus went quiet on him and keeps him more marketable, which I think kind of makes sense. Right, he's like, oh yeah, he went he went to Rufus to turn down the job. Mm. You know, in as a way to kind of try to placate Stephen. Right. Michael, who no longer works at the factory, turns up at the factory to find that Stephen has told PC Tinker about him seeing Rufus last night. <gasps> and PC Tinker is very interested in having a word with Michael as he may have been the last person to see Rufus alive. Ha ha, says Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Michael gives his statement in the factory office and tells the truth about lying about having seen Rufus. But it's far too complicated for PC Tinker to follow, so he he's just like, tears off his paper. He's like, okay, explain that to me again, slower. <laughs> so now Michael has come clean with, with Stephen, and as he blubbers about how this must look and where this leaves him, Stephen interrupts. What would you do in my shoes, Stephen asks. I'd tell me to fuck off, says Michael. But he promises to make it up to Stephen and the business, and he starts to beg for his job back. And there was this lovely little scene between Stephen and Izzy that I really liked while Stephen was watching. And Izzy's on her tea break. Right, yes. And he says, how long is your tea break? And she tells him to give over. And he's like, would you say that to Carla? And she's like, no, because she's Carla. <laughs> and he seems to take it. He doesn't shout at her the way he would anybody else. Mm -hmm. And answers her question about what's going on in there and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of nice. It's like, oh... Here's one person that Stephen's not a dick to. Right. It's Izzy. He was still kind of a dick to him. The office is closing and it turns out that Michael hasn't just got his job back. He's got himself a promotion to junior manager. Nina, apparently, is fine about not getting the job. P whatever. Stephen goes into a long reverie where he talks about how to succeed in business and taking his chances and seizing opportunities. But what he's really talking about is how he killed Rufus, which we see in flashback from the door opening and Rufus saying, mm -hmm. what do you want? Stephen pretended to be there to talk about business. They had a few drinks. Stephen said that he was going to give him the 50% after all. And then when Rufus went away to get some wine, Stephen drugged Rufus's wine. And then when Rufus was three sheets to the wind, he pushes him into the indoor pool where Rufus managed to drown in three feet of water with Stephen's hand on his head. Say what you like about Stephen... He really gets his money's worth out of the LSD. Now, wait a second. This is Rufus, the man who has been microdosing on LSD. He didn't realize what was going on. For quite some time. That's what he says. 
so his yeah he had you know this this is where Stephen got his LSD. This is where how it all started. Get, right? How did he get LSD now? Because those kids on the street wouldn't sell it to him. Where did he get more LSD from? But also, Rufus's body would have a pretty strong tolerance. Well, to apart LSD. From, from that, we just realized what was going on. Right. Absolutely. Because he realized what was going on with Carla just from seeing Carla walk. Right. Yeah. And he seems he seems to kind of grab Stephen's collar a little bit and say, "What the hell did you do to me?" Well, what he does is he grabs Stephen's tie. And what I forgot to mention from the previous day, when Stephen when when Stephen was in the pub, angry at mm-hmm. Michael and stuff, Sean I, th- I think it was Sean comments on his little tie pin, mm. and it was at a weird angle. Right, and Stephen says low. that's that's why I don't normally wear a, a tie pin. Uh-huh. So I'm wondering if Rufus has grabbed that. And that's going to be the evidence that brings us all a tumbling down. Now, but I would have thought they would have found it by now. Right. Well, also, I don't know if Stephen stuck around to clean up, but his DNA is all over that glass that he was drinking out of. Right. You know, so there is evidence that Stephen was there. Yeah, he's got a big Canadian handprint on his <laughs> top of his head. Anyway, and that's how we end this week's episode. Yeah. It kind of feels like Stephen is getting... Sloppy. I mean, he was always sloppy. He's a sloppy killer. But this is the first one that he seems to have planned. This is the first one that was premeditated. Yeah. He went to the house with the absolute intention of killing Rufus. Rufus. Yeah. But he's just lucky that that Rufus turned his back. Well, and, and again, why would Rufus turn his back on a glass when he knows that Stephen has drugged people before? Yeah. Why would you do that? Has a tendency to drug. The arrogance of white men. Seriously. (laughs) Oh, it's not going to happen to me. I can leave my glass here. No. No, sir. You you cannot. Nope. But the indignity of of dying in a robe with nothing else on except for a pair of Crocs. That... You'll never know what happened to his watch. That scene, right? (laughs) That scene, the the ending scene in the pool, which looks kind of gross. It doesn't look, that water doesn't look clean. And then just this floating crock upside down. Well, I thought there was a jobby. There's <laughs> this little jobby just <laughs> bouncing into the scene. It was this croc. He was wearing crocs. I didn't. Imagine I, dying in crocs. I don't like a flashback. I've decided. I don't like a flashback. I certainly don't like a flash forward. Don't be giving me a flash forward. But I know a lot no, of people. There was no reason to not do this in a more conventional way because we all knew on Wednesday that it was Stephen that turned up it, at Rufus's house, and we all knew what was going to happen. It gives Stephen a way to be very clever with Michael in explaining how to do business. But he's really talking about moiter. Yeah, well, that seems to be something that is serving the storyline rather than serving the characters then. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were mad at the death off scene initially on Wednesday. It seemed like a lot of people were quite indignant about that. That there was no death scene on Wednesday? Yeah. And that it wasn't, you know, and the, whole, and the fact that we only see it in flashback. Yeah, because it was like, they were like trying to present it like it was a mystery and, and that 
It wasn't. simply wasn't a mystery. No. <laughs> Who else would have killed him? Who else? Do you think Paul came back to kill him after stealing the car? Well, here that, we go. And that, that whole thing, that whole thing, Damon saying, oh, well, steal a flash car and leave it for him. Leave it where? Does it, does, does, does Paul know where Niall lives? Because it, you would think if he knew where he lived, if he knew where he did business, he could just knock on the door and say, hey, give me more work. No, he doesn't. It, it was, if you nick a decent car and you tell him about it, he'll get back to you. How can he tell him about it when he's not answering the phone? Damon was about to get his hole. He was just trying to get right. Paul off the phone. Is Paul really that dumb? Apparently, yes. Paul had turned a corner and Paul had turned his back on these kind of wheelings and dealings after the whole Chauvin Mike right. stuff had happened. Yeah. That was the closest that he's come in recent months to doing something pretty dodgy. Right. Now he's just out and out a car thief. Right. And stupid. And also Gemma can get married. It's like, well, but, but, well, so Gemma can get married before he dies. Mm-hmm. Because he, he does have the impression that he's dying. That that doctor did say, you're probably dying. The doctor who... Should not who, have said, you're probably a, dying. A diagnosis and who shouldn't have given him a prognosis. Yeah. Essentially said to him he's going to be dead within three years, mm-hmm. which... I don't know. This seems like a... It, it seems like a bit of an overreaction from, from Paul. Right, yeah. and it And it seems like... An overcomplication of this story, but but here it adds another potential suspect, right? Which is an overcomplication of this story, because I think I speak for everyone in saying I just really want him finally caught. I think I'd like him to kill one more person. Who is that person? I don't care. Just a person. A person. Get to four people. Because, let's face it, so the first one was purely an accident. Right? Uh, yeah, he covered it up. When Cinco Leo fell from the roof. That was an accident. Cinco Leo's dad, Cinco Teddy, that was the heat of the moment. Yeah. That, that was, a, it mo- was a moment of madness. But it was a motive. And he did do <clears throat> it. But it wasn't premeditated. Per- yeah, but he did it intentionally. This was absolutely premeditated. So he's tried, I think first, second, and third degree here. So he mm-hmm. has to decide which one is my favourite. Now, here's a question. Do you think a posh house like that that's being rented, that's being rented, let's remember, do you really think there are no cameras around that house? I think around the outside of the house, quite possibly. Nothing inside the house. I think there's probably... Well, yes. Well, outside the house is going to catch Paul. Mm-hmm. I think there might be in places like the pool area because, you know, a lot nah, of people... I think you're kind of dodgy surveillance seeing Rufus masturbate frantically. Well, not in like the bedrooms and stuff. <laughs> yeah, because Rufus is going to confine that activity to the, to the bathroom or the bedroom. He's doing that in the swimming pool. Absolutely. So gross. <clears throat> so gross. As he's standing over one of the jets. Oh, anyway, so... (coughs) (laughs) 
so yeah, I, I, I can I can see Stephen Paul be being caught. I can see Paul being in a bit of trouble here, and I I can see Michael being in a bit of trouble here as well because right. Michael saying that he admitting that he's lied, right? Albeit not to the police, but he's lied to well, he, to Stephen about it. He admits to Craig, who is technically police, <laughs> right? But the fact that his storyline doesn't jive between what Michael's saying and what Stephen's saying, I think that introduces a little grey area where maybe maybe Michael remains at the moment anyway at least somewhat under suspicion well, but the one again, person who's not under suspicion at the moment is Stephen yeah but he's the only one with actual motive this, well Paul Paul's stealing the car he could have been could have said that he'd, yeah. he'd been he'd been disturbed whilst trying to steal the car or well, something well then Rufus would be dead in the driveway not in the pool and Michael could have said that well he offered me a job and then he didn't yeah <sighs> but they... yeah, Michael doesn't have a, nobody has a motive here but and uh, but again if if there are cameras on the outside of the house it would have seen Michael show up Michael shout at the house Michael make a phone call Michael leave but we're in we're 24 hours into the the investigation and it isn't being treated as a murder it hasn't been treated as even particularly suspicious. They've got a dead person in a pool who looks like they've drowned, who right. probably has drugs in their system. Yeah. Well, that'll be why then. Yeah. So it might be that none of this becomes consequential. Mm. Although I have to worry why Paul was there if it's not going to become consequential. Right, yeah. Maybe that's what makes it consequential is the them noticing that his car is missing. Mm-hmm. But right now, nobody has noticed that car's missing. No. Not even Sean's mum. But there's a rental company somewhere that's waiting for that car to come back, or there's a, that's his actual car, though, isn't it? Is it? Or there's a or there's a um, there's a relative or a colleague who wonders where the car went to, or something. Right, like, and that's maybe something that's going to happen next week. Right. Oh well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes, a shorter it was. week this week for us because we only had to talk about three episodes. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Roy talking to a dog. Yeah. Roy talking, just any dog? The small yappy dog. To a dog named Freddy. Roy telling a 25-year-old joke to a dog. I think I think this was on the cards as soon as it happened. This is exactly what Coronation Street is supposed to be about. Yeah, this is what everyone wants to see is things yeah. like this. Everybody wants to see this. Yeah, and actually, you know what? In fairness, I kind of I want to see stuff like the like the Sarah and Damon stuff because to me soap operas are about Cheating on your husband. Yeah. That's what they're supposed to be about. Yeah. And, and the Glenda storyline at the moment yeah. as well. Is, is a, yeah. Is a, so if, the highest risk in one of these shows is supposed to be cheating on your husband. So out of the five storylines that we've talked about, three of them have kind of at least got their feet somewhat in reality. Then we've got Ryan and then we've got the Rufus stuff. Yeah. So... If you like the old school sort of storylines, not so much a bad week this week. Yeah. Anyway, Roy, yeah, people say this is what we want to see, Roy talking to a dog. Nobody says this is what we want to see, a man being drugged and drowned in a swimming pool. Yeah. Nobody says more of that, no, please. No, So, Roy talking to the small yappy type dog is our... Moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Hmm. Leanne and Nick talking about students. No, that was great. <laughs> Fucking students. Fucking, Fucking students. students, man. Fucking students. Um, 
Who was it that didn't know the rules to wink murder or murder wink? It was some. It was just some random kid. Was it some random blonde kid? That wasn't a random blonde kid whose name we're supposed to know. No, I okay. don't think so. I'm not sure. I think it may have been. But it was really cute because, like, he falls down dead, and it's hope that says, "That's not how you play." And Evelyn says, "That's you're right. Get up." Yeah, that was fun. I didn't. That wasn't boring. I know that was. Fun. I love that. Is there no boring moment? No, there's always a boring moment. <sighs> is it? Is it the discussion about the ladder? Is it Todd being afraid of being up on that wee step ladder? No, that was kind of good as well, wasn't it? It was funny. Because then, because like, George is like complaining to him and saying, don't be such a wuss. And then he gets up and he's like, oh, no, you're right. This is kind of shaky. Yeah, that was fun. We kind of forgot to talk about Tim's mom ignoring all the warning signs of Stephen oh, being an asshole. All the giant red flags. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not really... That wasn't born either. Boring either. Was it uh, Aggie taking ages in the shower? No, because that was fun. And uh, it was fun having uh, Dee Dee and Ed take the piss out of Michael. Yeah. Everybody taking it. Michael sh Ed should move in with Dee Dee. Dee Dee needs a new roommate. That's true. That would be fun. The sibling house. I just think it's hilarious that the show is now making it out like Aggie and Ed can't wait for their kids to leave. Now that James is gone, they don't fucking care. Is it Paul borrowing Chesney's car keys? That does feature Chesney. <laughs> that'll, that'll do it. That'll do. That's a boring moment of the week. A reluctant boring moment of the week this right. week. Because it's funny when Paul walks in and starts calling people's names. Yep. He should have started calling the, the, the quads names. That would have been fun. Yeah, see how many could remember. <laughs> If you've ever borrowed Chesney's car keys, write in to let me know what you did with the car afterwards. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk renewed for another year for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.